Well, look, we're going to pick up uh, this week on where we left things last week. Who can remember what we talked about last week? I know, well, you preached it, so if you... <laughs> any, any, any offers? We were looking at the Beatitudes, weren't we? We were going through the Beatitudes, and Ian was uh, preaching his way through that hugely influential passage of Scripture, isn't it? Do you... Yes, good. I'm glad you thought so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to now look at the next passage of Scripture where Jesus uh, continues to speak. So we're going to read together. Thank you very much. We're going to re- read Luke 6, 27 to 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Wow. That is a really radical passage of Scripture, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, that is just, it's so challenging. I've been so challenged by it. It's also been extremely influential over the years. This is a passage of scripture that has shaped lives, it has shaped communities, it has shaped cultures as the power of what Jesus has said has influenced. And I've got to say, as I've been preparing this, I've been reading about some of the stories of Christians who have been uh, affected by this this teaching, this thing about loving your enemies. I was reading some sermons by uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, They're just phenomenal. The way, uh, though he was hated, he committed himself to love his enemies. He even said at one point, even though, he said, I am determined that I will love you, not hate you. I'd rather die, he said at one point, uh, in order to love you, not hate you. Just phenomenal, phenomenal. And then I was reading another story about a, a, a Hutu woman. Uh, now, if you know your uh, history, you'll know that Ru- Rwanda is a place, a small country really in, um, in Africa. And there are two major people groups in uh, Rwanda. There are the Hutus and then there are the Tutsis. And uh, in the 1990s, there was a horrendous uh, civil war. Uh, to the point where a million people were killed and many people were brutally murdered. I mean hacked to bits, men, women, and children. And uh, this uh, Hutu woman was talking about her experience, and she said, uh, she said uh, one day she was in her village, and a group of, I guess, uh, 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 Tutsi men came into the village, and they just went on the rampage, and they slaughtered. And uh, her husband was hacked in front of her to death, and her children also. 
and uh, she was attacked, uh, but she recovered. She, she survived just, I think. And then she, she became a nurse. And uh, uh, having served in this uh, hospital for a while, a bunch of guys then come in and they are brutally uh, hacked and just in a mess on the point of death. And as they're coming in, she recognizes one of them as one of the guys who came into her village and was responsible for the massacre of her village. But she decides, I am going to care for this man and I'm going to do everything I can to nurse him back to health. And that's what she does. And this guy fully recovers. And at the end of it, he knows who she is. And he says to her, why did you help me? And she simply replied, I have become a Christian. And I follow a God who says, I've got to love my enemies. Powerful story. I've got to say, I am in awe of some of these stories and the people. Because when I look at this, I just think this is so challenging. It's really difficult. I mean, I, 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 honestly, what, what goes on inside me, it provokes so many, isn't this hopeless idealism? Isn't this just naive to say, love your enemies? I mean, is it, is it, even with these stories, is this actually possible for the majority of us? Or are these just special Christians? You know, Mother Teresa's of this world. They can do it, but the rest of us, well, boy, we can't. Uh, I'll tell you what, another th thought that comes through my, as I read this, I think... Are these instructions meant to be taken literally? If I get a whack on the cheek, am I meant to say, yeah, okay, here's the other one, have another go? Or is it metaphorical? I think that's a really important question that we need to consider throughout um, uh, today. It also, when I was reading it, it made me say, well, Jesus, if you're telling us to love your enemies, how did you treat your enemies and it made me think again, how did Jesus treat the Pharisees? Because they were the, the literal enemies of Jesus, weren't they? As far as they were concerned, anyway. They hated him. They wanted to take him out. So they're his literal enemies. How did Jesus treat them? And that's kind of shaped um, uh, what I've been thinking about. And then lastly, this, this scripture we've got up here. This whole thing about rewards. <clears throat> doing good stuff to get rewards. I just think we need to consider that one as well. Because I think probably most Christians say, oh, no, no, I'm not meant to get any rewards. I'm just meant to be very nice about everything and um, not get anything back. Um, this passage, though, starts with a warning. It has a kind of little health warning on it. Look at this phrase. Jesus says this. I say to you who hear. That's a bit like the phrase, uh, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. That's right. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, Jesus starts by saying, not all of you are going to be able to accept this. I'm going to say something that is so radical that some of you will say, no, 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 I can't, I can't take that. I can't have that. This is just too emotionally stretching, too, frankly, galling for me to accept. So he's, <laughs> as soon as you see that little phrase, I say to you who hear, it's a kind of little warning. Oh boy, something's coming that's going to be challenging and difficult. And if you had that expectation, you are not disappointed, are you? Because Jesus says this, love your enemies. <laughs> Do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Sometimes we have to unpack the word of God, don't we? we have to, I think sometimes it's good just to look at it. I recognize that's what Jesus said. And that's what he wants us to do. It's not complicated teaching that, is it? There it is. Those are the words that Jesus said. Uh, I, I, I want to say this to you. <clears throat> if you've had enemies, serious enemies, who really have hated you and have sought to destroy you, that would become incredibly challenging. I think, uh, I think in the West, we live pretty comfortable lives generally, uh, don't we? But um, I think actually, uh, to be honest, you ought to be outraged by this statement. It ought to outrage us to say, how does that make any sense whatsoever? Why would I strengthen the enemy who wants to kill and destroy me? Why would I help them? It would just make them better at killing and destroying me, wouldn't it? Or is it just me who has this? Is it just me? Oh, good. There's one or two of us. Uh, you know, I think that's sometimes the danger. If you've been a Christian for a long time, we've talked about this before. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you read your Bibles and, they, and the, the words kind of trip off the tongue, don't they? And then you just move on to the next without realizing what this means. This is incredibly challenging. That's why it's come with a little health warning at the, at the front. And I think I would suggest this to you. If you haven't been outraged by that statement, I wonder whether you've begun to get to grips with what it really means. I think it's a very, very challenging, at times confusing, bewildering statement. But I can't get away from the fact it's what Jesus said. And it's what he means. So what can we say about this passage of scripture? Well, I suppose just to give it a little bit of context, I think we need to understand something, that Jesus is actually speaking uh, into a phrase that's being used at this time, and he's bringing some correction to some understanding, as Jesus often did. When Ian was speaking about the Sabbath, Jesus was bringing some correction about the way the Sabbath was being handled. Do you remember that? Yes? Good. Um, and uh, Jesus is now bringing some more correction uh, into uh, this particular understanding because the phrase that was being banded around at the time, in the first century, was this. was, uh, love your neighbors. Well, that comes out of Leviticus, and that's right. But they'd added something to it that didn't come out of the Bible. They'd said, yes, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. That's what they were being taught. That's what had arisen. I guess people had tried to say, well, it's sort of the two sides of the same coin. You know, you love your neighbors, but you hate your enemies. It's kind of, the, and, that's, and that's the teaching that had been around at that time. And Jesus is speaking right into that. And he's saying, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. I don't want you to hate your enemies. But interestingly, he's not just saying, no, no, that's wrong. You know, be neutral towards your enemies. He's not saying that. He's saying, no, no, I'm going to take you to the other extreme. I want you to love your enemies. That's the very opposite of the thing that the people were being taught at the moment. This is a total reversal of what they are being uh, 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 taught at this time. Wow. Wow. So Jesus is taking them to a whole different standard. As often, the standards of the kingdom of God are right up there, aren't they? And without the help of the Holy Spirit, 
we ain't going to do them. That's the truth, isn't it? I think it's, this stuff is meant to make you say, Jesus, unless you help me, Holy Spirit, unless you come and fill me, I'm not going to do this. Well, that's how I react anyway. And I guess the other question that I've been asking myself is, Jesus, why? Why do you want me, why do you want us to love our enemies? Why would we do this mad thing? What's the point of it? The reason I believe that Jesus wants us to love our enemies is because he did and he does. That is the example that he sets us through his own life. And we are his disciples, and therefore he's saying, follow me. If you want to be my disciple, follow my example. That is the example that he has set, is to love his enemies. You see, Jesus came into the world, didn't he? And the Bible tells us that we had all gone astray, each one to our own way. That's what Isaiah tells us. So in other words, you and I were all sinners. Yeah, do we agree that? And then the book of Romans unpacks that a little bit more. And it says this, before you became a Christian, you hated God. Did you know that? In your heart, the unredeemed heart, when you're not born again, hates God. In fact, you could put it a different way. You were an enemy of God. You and I, we were enemies of God. Ah, that's different now, isn't it? Help me anyway. (laughs) We were ungrateful. We were his enemy. Yet God still came and gave his life to redeem us so that we could be forgiven. Romans 5.8 says this, For God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, brackets, enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus gave his life for you and for me, even though we were his avowed enemies. We were all his enemies. If God didn't have the attitude of loving his enemies, then you and I would never have been saved. And the reality is, we would have spent an eternity in hell without him. When I realized that, it made me think, yes, no, I understand uh, loving your enemies a bit more now. It makes more sense to me because I realized I personally have benefited from God's attitude of loving his enemies. Suddenly I thought, oh, right. Does that help you? Helps. Also says this, it says, this scripture goes on to say, uh, it's not up here, but uh, and that's the larger scripture I showed you. It says, if you love your enemies, you will be sons of the Most High. What does that mean? It means this, it, will mean, it means you will be acting like your heavenly father. It's the way Jesus behaved and he expects us also. If we want to be truly look like sons and daughters of the Most High, then that's how we will behave. It doesn't mean you're born again. You will be born again, you understand, when you repent of your sin. But it means you start to behave like God. We start to take on his characteristic. You'll be sons and daughters of the Most High. Extraordinary. Okay. So Jesus calls us then in these things, these four things, to love our enemies because Jesus loved his enemies. We are called to do good to those who hate us because Jesus did good to those who hated him. We are called to bless those who cursed us because Jesus 
blessed those who cursed him and he prayed for those who abused him. It is the example we've been set. Whether we like it or not, whether we struggle with it or not, that's where he's asking us to go. So it's a mixture of attitude and action. Those four things. Right. Now, I just want to make some observations. I've got three separate sort of observations. This comes out of, of some of my struggle and some of my observation. Uh, I, I, I want to suggest this. I also think we shouldn't get confused by the word love. I think we have a tendency, particularly in the southeast um, of England, to assume that the word love means be nice. Nice. And there are good aspects to the word nice, because it's nice to be nice. But actually, it's not a biblical word. And there are some negative aspects to this word nice. And uh, nice also means don't upset anyone. Don't offend anyone. Uh, don't speak the truth uh, too uh, clearly to anyone because um, you might upset them. You know, offending people in our current culture is almost one of the worst sins you can commit. Did you know that? Increasingly, don't you notice in our culture, uh, people are terrified when they think they've used the wrong word and they've offended someone. And you have people say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, what have I done? The fear of offense now is right up there in our culture. Uh, it can also mean, uh, on the negative side, it can mean you can be a bit hypocritical as well. Actually, nice. As I say, there are good aspects to nice as well. <laughs> but this, that's the negative side of it. Uh, I just want to say this to you. Jesus uh, loved everyone he met, didn't he? But Jesus offended a good chunk of people too, didn't he? Do you remember when he went to Nazareth? Remember when he went to Nazareth? What, what happened when he went to Nazareth? He upset everyone. That's where his family was. And he said to them, basically said, look, um, you, you don't believe any of this. In fact, you remind me, he said, of the worst of Israel uh, uh, back in the days of Elijah. And they were absolutely furious with him to the point where it says they wanted to kill him. How dare you say these things? Now, if we were advising Jesus at this time, I think because we're full of nice, we would have said, oh, Jesus, this is terribly awkward that's happened here. Um, uh, you know, you've left a mess back there. I think you should go back and apologize. Because that would be nice, wouldn't it? It'd be lovely. And then everyone would have a lovely, lovely time. <laughs> Jesus was not frightened to speak the truth if it caused offense. So uh, I don't want us to get the view that love is passive in that sense. He also leaves the Pharisees fuming, doesn't he? Have you noticed that? When Ian was speaking on that, it really hit me. He speaks to this group of Pharisees about the, um, about the uh, Sabbath. And uh, they're looking for a reason to accuse him. Is he going to heal on the Sabbath or not? And Jesus, it says, looking round at them all. In other words, he eyeballed them all. And then says, stretch out your hand and heals this guy in front of them. Oh, that was provocative. That was really provocative. I mean, again, I think we would have said, Jesus, yes, do that thing. But, you know, just do it nicely. So wait till they've gone and then go to this other guy. And they do it quietly. And then, you know, why are you making a fuss about it? So I don't want us to get the, the, the view that love is somehow bland. 
It's all about, no, actually, Jesus was loved everyone, but he was strong uh, with them as well. Okay, um, I think we also just need to see this passage that we're looking at is referring to the way in which we treat our enemies, specifically our enemies. Uh, those who are committed to your destruction or your harm. And I guess for the people of Israel at this time, that probably would have been uh, Romans. They are the literal enemy of Israel. And uh, um, uh, Rome has ruled them since 63 BC. And we know that the Romans treat them very harshly. In fact, so harshly, John the Baptist speaks to some of these uh, soldiers, doesn't he? And he says, stop ex extorting money out of these people with menaces. You're being physically violent. You're whacking them. You're stealing from them. Stop it, is what he says to them. So Jesus, there's an immediate application for what Jesus is saying here about love your enemies. He's saying, yeah, you know those Romans, those nasty, violent, greedy bunch? Love them. Love them. Uh, so um, we'll probably come back to that in a bit. The other thing I think I just want to say this is this. We also need to see that Jesus isn't asking us to pretend that our enemies aren't our enemies anymore. He's not asking us to indulge in delusion. We should not pretend that our enemies are our friends when they are not. But we are being asked to reflect the heart of God to our enemies. Do you see what I mean? Now hopefully... One day our enemies will become our friends. That's great. But the reality is our enemies are our enemies. But we still got to love them. Uh, I just want to say this as well. You know, as we live as Christians, if we share our faith and we stand up, particularly in these days, as we stand up for godly values, the word of God assures us that there will be people who will hate us. And uh, just as the Pharisees hated Jesus, there are today's Pharisees that will hate us if we stand up for biblical godly values. So in other words, church, <laughs> it's cheerful this, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it it's, uh, it, we are going to have enemies. You are going to have enemies. And I wonder if it's just good to get our heads around the fact now, what are we going to do with people that abuse us or persecute us or hate us because we love Jesus? What are we going to do? How, how will we respond one day if we have a group of people that say, oh, I hate that Hope Church. I hate you because you stand up for this value. And I hate that. How will we treat them? That's a real challenge, isn't it? Okay. Let's uh, push on. Can't take any more of that. Right, uh, so Jesus then goes on to say, this is equally challenging too. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Right, I suspect Jesus is using these examples because this is what the Romans are doing to them. I suspect they are getting a clout. Or it could be an insult. By the way, when they talk about a slap, that could mean they're being insulted. But the Romans would probably hit them. It also talks about um, uh, takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. In other words, um, 
they're extorting. The Romans are extorting money or goods from them. So they say, I'll have your cloak. So, uh, and I think there would have been a lot of poverty in Israel at this time. So there's going to be lots and lots of begging. Lots and lots of people saying, please, can I have some money? So, as we looked at the question earlier, is this a literal set of instructions for us? Or is it a metaphorical thing? And so I went to the, the commentators thinking, excellent, they will be able to help me. <laughs> well, some said, yes, it is a literal set of instructions. And others said, no, it is not. It should be taken metaphorically. So I thought, oh, blow, they just haven't given me. So I, I would say, and this is my position, I think probably you have to come to your own position on that. But for me, I think this, there is a good dose of uh, figurative metaphorical um, conversation uh, in this. I think Jesus is using a little bit of Middle Eastern hyperbole in this one. And I think, so therefore what he's saying is, if somebody unjustifiably insults you like an enemy, don't reply in kind. Don't give evil for evil. Have you noticed when somebody uh, treats you in a certain way, your immediate response very often is to treat them the same way. Somebody shouts at you, I'm gonna shout back. You use certain language at me, I'm going to use certain language at you. Do you notice that? Immediately, you both hit the lowest common denominator. I think what Jesus is saying here is, don't do that. Don't repay evil for evil. Instead, go the opposite way. So, you were having the conversation, this other person starts shouting at you. Don't drop down here and start shouting at them. What he's saying is, go up and love them. Do you see what I mean? Move in the opposite direction to the way that instinctively many of us want to move. I think if we do that, that's what he's uh, getting at. I, I just also do want to speak about uh, uh, this particular issue because we have looked, haven't we, at domestic abuse. Um, last year that was our seminar. And uh, I think it's really important that if you are in a situation that is... Uh, abusive, you are taking physical abuse or uh, uh, consistent verbal or mental abuse, this scripture is not saying to you, so you must stay there and keep taking the hits. It is not saying that. I'm clear on that. It's not absolutely saying that. The context that Jesus is speaking into is where the Romans have invaded uh, Israel, i.e. there is no escape there is no escape for the people of Israel. That is their homeland. It's where they live, and the Romans are there. They can't get out from the control of the Romans. Uh, if you're in an abusive situation, I trust that you will find a situation where you can get out. You can get out. This is talking about a situation where you cannot get out. Is that helpful? So in summary, I think this is saying, remain compassionate to the poor and needy. It's not... You know, if an alcohol, if an alcoholic comes up to you and says, "Can I have a tenner, please?" Most of us, I think, would say no. And I think that's right. We might care for them another way. We might go and buy them a sandwich and give them that. So again, I think this is this is about looking at a principle. Christians, will you live in a way that says, "I will love rather than hate"? Do you see what I mean? Okay, let's move on. Who's ever heard preaching on the golden rule? 
two, three. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> That's interesting. I was listening to Dave Devnish. Who knows? Dave Devnish is a great guy. He's a mighty man of God. He does incredible things for God, but he does have a voice that sounds like Tommy Cooper. He's very, oh, down like that, very much. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, you know, like that. <laughs> like that. If you don't know who Tommy Cooper is, you'll have to look him up. Um, and he said that actually in the 1950s and 1960s, every Christian he knew had heard preaching on a consistent basis on this, on the golden rule. Every Christian would have known the golden rule and what it was. And of course it is, do to others as you would have them do to you. And it's brilliant because it's profound, it's simple, and it just helps put you into the shoes of the other person. It kind of provokes compassion in you by appealing to your own self-interest. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's saying, yes, imagine you were suffering. Imagine you were struggling and some guy came along, some person who could help. Wouldn't you want them to help? And of course you think, yeah, 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 I would, I would. He said, right, now turn the tables. Yeah, no, I see that, I see that. All oh, right, yeah. And this is a much easier concept to grasp than loving your enemies. And I wonder whether Jesus has started with love your enemies, knowing people are going to say, what? what do you mean? So he said, okay, I'm going to give you something simpler that you will be able to understand. And that is treat other people like you'd like to be treated yourself. And I think most of us can get hold of that, can't we? That concept is a much easier one to get hold of, much more digestible. And I guess the question for us is, are we doing it? Again, are we doing this? Are we saying, God, help me, please, to love other people the way I would like to be loved? Help me to treat other people the way I'd like to treat. It's a constant challenge. I don't believe if you lived to 100 years old and you were a Christian for most of that time, that would ever stop being a challenge to you. I think it should be a challenge to us. Let it be a challenge again today. Right, last section. Now, uh, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus is making it clear in this passage that he is looking for a higher standard of love from us than the world gives isn't he? And I th what he's also doing in this is he is showing us how the world loves. How does the world love and how does the world do good and how does the world be kind? Because the world can do that. But it does it in a certain way and look how it does it. It says, it says uh, if you love those who love you, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, if you do good to those uh, to whom you think will, they will do good to you. What is that saying? That's saying, in the world, people do good because they expect to get a return. I'm kind and I love, but actually what I'm looking for is a return on that. That's what he's saying. That's how the world does love. And... Um, <clears throat> 
Remember we, do you remember we spoke about legalism a few weeks ago? Do you remember? So this is a legalistic way of loving. So Because the law says it's like a contract. So the law would say, uh, 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 I've been good to you. Now I expect something from you, from you to me. Because I give and then you give. That's a legalistic way of behaving. And what Jesus is saying is, that's what everyone in the world does. That's how it works. It's goodness, and that's an expression of legalism. Are you with me? Okay. So um, let me give you an example, because actually most of us probably want this. We don't want money, generally, most of us, but most of us will want this. We will want applause or gratitude, or we will want um, uh, something back in return. Might be a warm, fuzzy feeling, or we might do something good for God so that we can say to God, okay, I did that for you. Now I'm sick. You heal me, please. That's the deal. I give them to you. You give to me. Let me give you a little example. Rachel and I, years ago, took our boys to Legoland when they were little, you understand, not recently. <laughs> Although they probably would enjoy going still. Um, and we spent the whole day going on all the rides. We went on the ride, anything they wanted to do, basically. We went on that, you know, that log that goes through the water, and there's a splash, and you, you go down the thing, and it's terrifying, you know, all that. And we ate all the kind of food that they wanted, and uh, it just was just a great day for them. And when we got home, all we had to do was feed them something and then go to bed, and they were a nightmare. They were a nightmare. They wouldn't cooperate. They wouldn't eat. They wouldn't do. They wouldn't go to bed. They wouldn't. And we got so frustrated. And Rach turned to me after a bit. She said, when they'd finally gone down, and she said, you would have thought, that's a telling phrase, you would have thought that after all the love we've given them and all the care we've given them today, they would have gone to bed properly. That's revealed. I, mean, I felt the same too. Okay, so I'm in here. That's revealed a legalistic approach to love. We were good to you, so now we're expecting you to give us a peaceful evening. Do you see why Jesus would say, you're all chronic legalists? Because actually, I bet most of you have been there too. Yeah, okay. So we're looking for something in return. And what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you to love like the world. I want you to love like God loves. I want you to love without the expectation of that little return that it's going to come my way. Thank you very much. That's the massive challenge in this. It's another one that should take you to your knees saying, Oh, God, help! How do I love like that? But the question also is, Jesus says this. Look, he says, what benefit is that to you? What credit is that to you? In other words, if you get your reward now... You get my peaceful evening. I get the applause. I get the, oh good, I've got the warm feeling. God's saying, well, you've got your reward then. But I want you to get a reward from your heavenly father. I want you to get better rewards, that, a reward that will last for eternity. And not just, a, oh, that's nice. He is going for a whole different thing here. It's a whole different thing. So the question here is, what do you want? Do you want man's? Reward? Or do you want God's reward? Maybe one of the questions you need to ask yourself is, <laughs> actually, what kind of reward am I looking for? When I am kind to someone, I just thought I was just being generous. 
and I didn't want anything back in return. The Bible would say, mm, nah, that, that ain't true. You're going to have to look a little deeper than that. But Jesus is pointing the way to an eternal reward. You know, I think about Judgment Day quite a lot. I guess the older I get, it seems to be happening a bit more. And it says, Judgment Day for Christians, wonderfully, our sin has already been judged. You are heaven-bound. Once you are born again, nothing will stop you, I believe, from being eternally with him. But there is a judgment day that you and I will go through as Christians. And that will be an awesome day. And 1 Corinthians 3 says, this is what's going to happen. It says, your works will be judged. And it says, a fire is going to fall on your works. And what's actually going to happen is the true motivation behind your works will be exposed at that point. And if it's full of legalism, they're just going to get burnt up. And you will have nothing. But if it's full of love, there's going to be gold, jewels. It says rich things, eternal things. And, you know, as the pastor of a church, I want all of you who are born again, when you get to that day, when your mass of works is put there you can, and it's burnt up, you will say, yes, I have a rich reward. And not... <gasps> That was actually all for me. I thought I was doing it for you. I thought I was being very kind. And, and God has to say, no. Do you see what I mean? We'll pray, and then we'll end. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your amazing uh, challenge. I thank you for your great love. I come again just to say, Father, we are overawed by this command. But knowing that you are a good God and that you're full of tenderness, and that you want to set us free from legalism, and that you want us to be people that are full of the love of God, that we love like God loves, not like the world loves. So I want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you fall freshly on us? Would you help us to love uh, in a way that is just like you, Lord Jesus? But boy, do we need your help, my Father. We need your help to do that. So Holy Spirit, fall freshly on us, and help us, I pray. Help us to see what we're really after. Help us to understand more of ourselves as we go forward. And uh, God, I ask that your name would be glorified in amongst all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.